0: it's a wonderful thing that we can just bow our heads and talk to you, that in this moment, uh, our need to hear from you, from from your word, that you, Holy Spirit, would do some transforming work in our hearts, Uh, some of the areas that we don't address all the time. Pray that you would be with our pastor and his family, is there away, and that you would be with them in worship. And so glad that we get to join all of heaven and earth in our worship. We attend unto your word, uh, it's your word. Uh, help the one who presents. For Jesus' sake, amen. It's the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, also dealt with in our Sunday school class, the gospel given to us, the Apostle Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This gospel, and we talk a lot about the gospel and being gospel-centered, it's a word phrase that we use a lot, being gospel-centered, where we want gospel-centered discipleship and gospel-centered church and gospel-centered kids program and a gospel-centered youth program and We want to plant gospel-centered trees, and we have joined a gospel-centered bowling league. Ruth and I have done that, and uh, we are ready on our next venture, which I think is going to start this week, to do gospel-centered pickleball. (laughs) It's gospel-centered because in pickleball, you get to serve. (laughs) You know when the first pickleball was played in Egypt, when... Moses served in Pharaoh's court. <laughs> yes, I am a grandfather, and I have the right to tell things like that. <laughs> the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it, the Apostle Paul, but the gospel against human wisdom. It's, there's, there's a power of God in the gospel. It is, this gospel is the power of salvation Being saved, being a Christian, it's for everyone, this gospel is for everyone who believes. And in this gospel, there is a righteousness of God that is being revealed. And we want to talk a little bit about that righteousness of God as well. It's a righteousness that God gives. It's a righteousness of perfection in all that God is and all that God does. And it comes by faith, faith alone. I'd ask you to indulge me in a few stories, uh, and if you don't like it, good news is, Pastor is back next week. (laughs) Last week, Ruth and I visited Sarasota, Florida. That's where we spent almost 40 years together. Uh, Well, we've spent, that didn't come out right. Together, we spent 40 years in Sarasota. We've been together a long time. And uh, I met with my uh, friends and family, and we told a lot of stories. When you get older, you get to tell stories. And one of the stories with my brothers came up. It was through my brother Bill, and he reminded of a story when we were in our mid-20s. Three brothers, Bill, Tom, and myself. And we were going to a lacrosse game. We played lacrosse together, and we were late for this game. And that's a bad move when Bill is driving. Three long hairs cruising down the interstate in a 1967 Chevelle Supersport 327 four-speed in a hurry. We had to get there. We were approaching 100 miles per hour and we're passing cars one after the other. And I asked, Well, wasn't that last one like a state trooper? <laughs> and sure enough, the uh, red lights went on, and the stop came, and we knew we were in big trouble because we just broke the law. My brother Bill would think that he didn't break the law. He never breaks the law, but we broke the law. And uh, The officer gets out of his car and comes up to ours, and he's uniformed, and he is very big. Uh, What's up, guys? Uh, We have a game to get to. Uh, It's a lacrosse game. And he reads us the riot act, and uh, he reminded us that there were consequences for breaking the law. And then he looks in the car to all three of us, and he says, have a good game, guys. And he let us go. And we're thinking, how lucky can you get it? We're nice guys. No wonder he let us go. (laughs) Now, in a strange way, uh, we received grace. Some would say we received amazing grace. The offer extended grace. The officer bestowed a favor on guilty, undeserving kids, especially my brother Bill. No charges. Have a good game. We think our lives are judged by performance. We tell our kids, oh, if you want something, well, you have to work for it. You have to earn it. There's no such thing as a f- free lunch. But that's not Christianity. That's, that's not the gospel. Christianity is the grace of God. And until you understand this idea of grace, you really don't understand Christianity. And if I'm clear today, it's questionable. But if you understand grace today, then you will receive a big favor, and it's an eternal favor. So in Sarasota, there are stories of grace, and I'd like to tell a couple of them real quickly. My oldest brother, Fred, understand we are all old men sitting around telling these stories. My oldest brother, Fred, I asked him, and he was in his 20s, I said, how would you get saved? I was in a serendipity workshop in North Carolina. Serendipity workshops were places where hippies got together, and they just opened up the Bible, and they talked about the Bible. And he understood then that he was a sinner, and he needed a Savior, and he accepted Jesus as his Savior. And then Jim. Jim lived with his girlfriend, Pat, and they lived on a sailboat for over a year. And they were really hippies. I mean, they were really hippies. Far Eastern religion, diets that were, like, scary, and uh, all this sort of thing. And they tuned in on the uh, sailboat to the Scott Ross Show. You may have never heard of the Scott Ross Show. Uh, 590 on the AM radio, Omaha, Nebraska. And he was sort of like a Christian rock and roll guy. And they listened to the Scott Ross Show day after day after day. And they pulled out a little Bible that was given to them. And they started reading the Bible. And they found out that they were sinners and they needed a Savior. And on a sailboat somewhere... They just accepted Jesus as their Savior. And then my brother Bill, he chimed in, and he was with his wife, Ev, and they got saved in Sarasota, Florida, because a concert was being given by the second chapter of, uh, second chapter of Acts. Chuck Gerard was a speaker. And they listened to the music, and they listened to Chuck Gerard, and afterwards, they got saved. And their life was never the same. Tom was a little bit different. Bill, uh, Tom was Bill's twin, and he's in heaven now. But uh, uh, on, on one night, it came to him very clearly: I can, I, I can live in Satan's world, or I can live in God's world. And he recognized in that night that he was a sinner and he needed a Savior. And then I have a friend, Tom, that we we visited. Tom, and Tom was a guy who uh, uh, a businessman in Chicago. And he would go to the street, he would go out for lunch every day. And as he walked the street, on the corner, there was somebody there preaching. And they were telling how people could have a, have a relationship with a Savior. And he would go, and finally, he, he got so upset that he finally figured out another way to go to lunch. Because he didn't want to hear that. And then 20 years later, he found himself in a church. And he found out that he was a sinner. And he needed a Savior, and he got saved. we visited Jane. Jane is 78 years old. Are you tired of stories yet? We're doing all right? Jane is 78 years old, and, and we visited her uh, last week. And she said, "When I, you know, when I was 64 years old, I came to that little study thing that you did. We had a, a, a program, a ministry called uh, Seeking for God. And what we did was that we invited people to dinner and uh, in, in, in little groups, and then we got together and we explained what the Bible is like and who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And uh, she came to that. And she, we're in a breakout session. She says, "You know what? I finally found out. I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus, and I accepted Jesus. 64 years old. Her name is Jane. Wow. It's amazing grace, isn't it?" And every time that a person says I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and I accept Jesus as my Savior there's rejoicing in heaven that goes on. Every time. So Romans chapter 3 verse 9. Let's blow this thing all up. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin as it is written and now the apostle Paul is going to quote from the Psalms and Isaiah and he says you know there's there's, none is righteous no not one no one understands no one seeks for God all have turned aside together they have become worthless no one does good not even one To show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's God's word. First point. All are sinners. None righteous. No, not one. Verse 10. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned their own way. Jew and Gentile. Paul is intent on describing what this church is like what these people are like and he says the jew and the gentile they're all together they are sinners you want to talk about equity here's equity going on everyone is a sinner some 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 people say you know i want god to accept me i want i want to please god by being good and doing good and work at it some and I'll read a Bible and say a prayer. I'll even go to a church. I'll even drop something in the offering when it comes by. Because I might just be able to squeak into heaven if I behave that way. Well, how does God grade performance? We may wonder what's the GPA in my being good before God. Uh, How do you know if you're passing or failing? How do I know if I'm doing enough? Does God grade grade on a curve? When I was in eighth grade, I did not like Wendy Muller, because Wendy Muller always got hundreds, and there was no curve. When we think about God and our relationship to God, we're kind of hopeful that he grades on a curve, because we may not be as good as someone, but at least we're not as bad as someone. And we think that our, our relationship with God can be developed through what we do him. But w- the problem is, when will when is enough enough? And then you realize, well, m- maybe my best isn't good enough. And then you find you, yourself, oh, man, that was a sin. But it's me back to square one. Maybe I wind up in negative territory. Because performance is just bondage. There's no relief ever. You realize that you can never do enough to please God because God's a holy God. He's an absolutely holy God. Have you ever experienced the never enough bondage that goes on? I got a text this past week. This lady said that life is just terrible. I'm a good person, and God treats me like dirt. God is just like my mother. Never enough. Never enough. It kind of comes out in those verses in 19 and 20. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. This this idea of law, w- when you read this in the Bible, especially in the book of Romans, you kind of get confused because when you think about the law, what do you usually think of? The Big Ten, right? I mean, that's the law of God. And if it's not just those Ten Commandments, then it's the laws that he has given Uh, throughout things like books like leviticus those are the laws of god but the law here is really like the whole old testament it's all that god tells us all of his all of his commands and even if we were to obey them we're going to come up short and we will not make it in our relationship with god it's by verse 20 by by the works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight those those works that we try to do They will not work. The only thing the commandments do is that they help us to acknowledge our sin. We're all sinners. Verse 21, but, but now, now there's a difference. You see, we serve an outrageously gracious God who loves to give unbelievable grace and blessing on undeserving people like me and like you. So point two is... All sinners are eligible for salvation. God did something for you. It's in verses 21 to 23. Apart from the law, apart from that law given to us in, in, in the broad way, there is no way in which we can have relationship uh, with him under that kind of a law. But in, as you travel down, we didn't read verses uh, 27 and 28 It comes not on the basis of keeping that law, but on the basis of faith. And faith comes. And you can read about that through the book of Romans, chapter 4. Abraham is an example of faith. Chapter 5 and 6, moving on and how we have a relationship through that kind of a faith. It's God's work in Christ. All sinners are invited to come, to come and drink and to eat. And how does a guilty person get to heaven? There's a a, a massive group that would say, well, you do all the good works that you can and possibly do, and then you kind of just take your chances. There's another group that's still pretty huge, and they say, well, you got to pray and relate to God and worship Jesus Christ and do the best that you can and be religious and do good things. Don't be too bad. It's Jesus and a good, clean life. Do the best you can and trust and pray. Those are religious people. They may be the Jewish people that Paul was writing to in Rome. But there's a third group, number three. The third group says that it's not a matter of performance at all. It's being right with God who is holy, is accomplished by God through Jesus Christ. And is a Jesus Christ only apart from works of the law. True Christians, we would say. This Jesus that we talk about is the one, if you look back at chapter 1, uh, God has made this promise concerning his son, capital S, Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh. He was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. This is Jesus Christ, our Lord, the the one whom we receive. But now... A righteousness of God has come through Jesus Christ. This is like cataclysmic revelation to the Jews. It's not not performance and and being religious. It's Christianity as a relationship. It's Christ apart from performance. Yes, Jews say no way. Paul says it's the only way. God thank God for another way because, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in this boat, and we don't do the things that God wants us to do. So the third part is that all sinners are offered the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. It's not performance. There's an alternative. Let me read for you verses 24 to 26 again. And uh, 23, all sin falls short of the glory of God. But we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption. We're going to look at the word redemption in a second. A redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. We're going to talk about that, a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And we're going to just mention something about justification. Redemption is a payment that is made for a rescue. In this instance and in, in the life of the Apostle Paul, it's a, it's a It's a substitution that's made. It's the life of Jesus for you. That Jesus dies on a cross in your place. He takes your place. In the Old Testament, a father and a son would be going and they would go to atonement day and they would make sacrifices to God to atone for their sins. And the father and the son would go there and they would have their little lamb with them or they would get a lamb. And the son would say, Father, what are we going to do with the lamb? Well, we're going to kill the lamb, son. The lamb will die for our sins. And the son says, well, that's not going to go over well with Peter, people. We've got to do something else, don't we? Well, son, it's either you or the lamb. <laughs> kill the lamb, Dad. Not me. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus takes our place. He dies on a cross for our sins, we are the ones who deserve to die. All have sinned, come short of the glory of God. All have this, this death that should come their way. But God says, no, I will provide a lamb. It's the lamb of God instead of you in order to take away your sin. He will make that purchase. This idea of propitiation, redemption and propitiation. In chapter 1, verse 18, there's a list, uh, uh, sort of a 21 sin salute of where people are away from god and in that section it it says that now the wrath of god is revealed from heaven so there's a wrath of god against sin because remember he's holy he is absolutely holy and we are not and as we are not holy god's wrath uh, comes our way he is the one who is holy jesus christ the son of god now sacrifices himself he offers himself as a full atonement for our sins, that he would take our place and we don't receive God's wrath, we only receive God's blessing. This is what God does, and he does it by his blood. Jesus dies for you and for me in my place. If you sort of individualized it, Jesus could look in my eyes say, John, I'm going to be arrested for you. And I'm going to go through a mock trial for you. And they're going to dress me in a robe and put a thorn of crowns on my head. and They're going to mock me and they're going to spit on me. And then they're going to take me out and they're going to whip me for you. And they're going to place me on a cross and they're going to take my hands and they're going to nail them to a cross. They're going to take my feet and nail them to that cross. They'll even take a spear and put it in my side. And for three hours, John, for you, for three hours, I'll be suspended between heaven and earth. I'll be receiving God's wrath to the point where I'm going to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's received by faith. We're awfully close to to faith. I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and God has provided a Savior, so here's the Savior. Receive the Savior. As you receive him, there's this this transition that goes on. It's called this justifying work of God, this justification in which God declares that you are not guilty. And not only are you not guilty, and your sins are not charged against you anymore, but now you receive all of this, this, this righteousness of God. It's the righteousness of Christ that is given to you. The guilt of sin is gone. You don't have to be around anymore just dying over the guilt of your own sin. And the power of sin is now erased. It no longer has power over you, and you are free and alive. It's not something that you do. It's what God does. It's a declarative act in which God sees you as being right before him and in relationship with him free and alive, that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That it's not what my hands have done to cling, to cleanse my guilty soul. It's what Christ has done for me. Justification. God gives it to us. He declares us to be right before God. Fourth point, the gift of salvation must be personally applied. This is faith. I need to say to God, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and you are provided a Savior, and I accept the Savior. And then it says, as Jesus tells a parable of a prodigal son, he said, welcome home, welcome home. Transformed lives by following Jesus. That's what we want to be at CVPC. Transformed lives by following Jesus, knowing Jesus, accepting Jesus. So when you hear the message, you, you, you sort of come to decision time. All of this that God has done, I can either trample it, no way, or I can treasure it and accept the gospel. I'm in. Today I'm in. Thank you, Jesus. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you come to Jesus? Are deco- i can't read that clock anybody w- are we at 11:30 yet good deal what time do i have till 11:10? all right <laughs> i'm sorry i just can't uh i usually have this watch that i take off and i just can't uh, all right um so so i i i think about this and uh you know, there's, there's two big questions that are out there. Uh, these aren't just from hippie days. I think we always ask them. I think the whole world asks them. Who am I? And what am I here for? Sort of my identity and my, my, my purpose. And we're, we're con- we, we get confused on this. I think those who are who, who don't think Christianly, who are outside the Christian faith, are really confused. But I think Christians can be confused too as to who we are. I want to put a stake in the ground and say, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm made by God. And I'm redeemed by God. My value. And my worth in who I am is not in me, but it is in another, but that other gives it to me. Does that make sense? This is who I am. I want to be a Christian man. I want to be a Christian husband. I want to be a Christian pickleball player. Christian. My purpose is summed up with... uh, God started it out this morning. My purpose is in this catechism question. You know, I'm here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's my purpose. So everything that I do, wherever I go, wherever I swerve, or wherever I go on a straight path, I want this to come out, that that I am here to, to, to live for God and not myself. A Jesus man. God's man. What else am I going to give myself to? Peter asked that, didn't he? Jesus, only you have the words of eternal life. And many of us have done so. And we have a security both now and forever. We have this resting place in Jesus now and forever. And then we get to sing things like, uh, uh, in all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so, so good. And with every breath that I'm able, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God because he's been so gracious. And then, this isn't in our section, but if you if you page through the book of Romans, you come to chapter 12, and you say, okay, well, now that I'm a Christian, what am I going to do? Well, you can read couple of verses there but the the essence of it is that i'm going to offer myself as a living sacrifice i'm going to become the living sacrifice and offer myself that that i see my christianity my following of christ not a matter of doing and doing and doing as it is a matter of dying and dying and dying and if i can get that straight then i can be this a christian person and you can you can push it a little bit in the 12th chapter and i can get to like verse 9, let love be genuine. Because Christ has change, changed me, I have that opportunity and possibility. That I am called in my dying to let my love be genuine, to abhor what is evil, to hold fast to what is good, to love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. That, that, and as I give myself to dying ways, I can give myself to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. And in between, by the way... Uh, 9 through 11, chapters 9 through 11, Paul is all about other people, isn't he? I mean, he had his Damascus Road experience, and he knew that he was a sinner, and he got saved by Jesus uh, in that das- Damascus Road opportunity, but in between, he, he, this, this is the righteousness of God being revealed, that, that, that Paul has his great zeal for those who are outside of Christ. I mean, three chapters worth. Oh, I wish my my fellow countrymen would come to Jesus. There's a little more theological depth to that than just that, but it is that. So the fifth thing that I'd like to say is that the gift of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ alone must be shared. Why? Because I still have friends in my life, Tom and and Charlene and uh, Sarah and Bob, that I hope one day, one day, one day in their life, that they're going to understand that they're sinners before a holy God, and that they need a Savior too, and that they would come to Jesus. Wouldn't that be great? Don't you have some of the people in, like that in your life? You just wish that they would come and to drink. Come and drink from Christ. Come and be changed by Christ. It's a great life. Okay. One last point I really I really want to make because I started with all these stories about people and you're saying well that's nice for stories about people big deal. Chapter sixteen of Romans. Paul's writing to this church. And he remembers people. And I say and he says I commend to you our sister Phoebe servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. That's Phoebe Paul thinks about Phoebe she became a Christian greet Prissa Priscilla and Aquila Fellow workers in Christ risk their necks. Greet the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus. Eponid, you know, He's the first. He was the first convert in Asia. You can go through. Twenty nine people. Fall lists. Why? Because the gospel isn't just about us. It's about others. And it's about our relationship to God. And it's about people. One of the great things about, there's a lot of great things about CVPC, but one of the great things is the idea, the, our, 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 our way of commu- community. Just doing life together. And not only do I say bring greetings in chapter 16, but we also greet some people too. Sort of he He's at the end like me. Verse 20. So the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So as we started with the power of the gospel, grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, be with you. You're a sinner. You need a savior. God has provided a savior. Accept the Savior. And maybe as God prompts you, you'd live for that Savior. Share your faith with others. Live in good community in love one to another. So now to him, the end of Romans. So now to him who is able to strengthen you. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's what we thank you for, Lord. You have graciously entered into our lives. You have called us to yourself. You have called us by name. You have given us faith so that we might believe in you. Just this morning that, uh, as, as we've talked, if anyone is just trying to be good with you, and they're trying to do it on their own, please let them see the futility of it all. And maybe for some of us, we would just you know just need to bow our heads and offer a prayer to you that Lord, I'm a sinner, and it hasn't been going well, and I really do need a savior, I may not know everything about you. Today I know enough to say I can just call out to a Savior and ask Him to save me. Jesus, would you save me today? Would we make would you make me to be yours? Would you take away my sin and give me give me your righteousness? Oh just I would just accept the Savior. Lord, we're going to enter. Uh, I don't know, maybe even holier ground right now. In a communion time, and we're going to take bread and break it, and like your broken body, and we're 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 going to take the cup. We're going to take. Juice or wine. It's represents your shed blood. It's in it's it's in this that we're going to have an internal working by the Holy Spirit to lift us up, to make us stronger, to enliven us in our faith with you because of because of what you've done, because you've paid for our redemption. You've given yourself for our propitiation. And we are justified in your sight because of what you've done. For some of us, these next moments are they're going to be fresh because we're, we're freshly redeemed by you. For others of us, we're, we're, we're like seasoned. But the grace of it all never goes away. It just doesn't. And we're reminded of how you are our Savior. and How we give our lives Would you take these next moments and use them, certainly for your honor and glory, but also for the building up of your people in their faith. For Jesus' sake.